and welcome to series three of A Coffee With, a C&D podcast where I sit down with some of pharmacy's most inspirational women to find out how they got to where they are today. I'm Emily Stern, a reporter at C&D, and in every episode, I'll be talking to a different woman in pharmacy to chat about their career highs and lows, their aspirations and fears, and everything in between. So, pour yourself a cuppa and join me for the latest instalment of A Coffee With. My guest today is Lily Obo, a consultant pharmacist for the care of older people at Guy's and St Thomas's Hospital London and the NHS Specialist Pharmacy Service. In a pharmacy career spanning over 25 years, Lily has worked in both community and primary care pharmacy. As a consultant pharmacist, her role involves optimising medicines use for older people with long-term conditions. She has experience working strategically at local, regional and national level and was also selected to represent the Royal Pharmaceutical Society in the government's recent review of overprescribing in the NHS. So welcome, Lely, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Emily. So I want to start off by talking about how you got into pharmacy. What prompted you to study pharmacy? So this was going back, way, way back to when I was a, a, like a teenager. So my mom was a nurse in the army, and she was really inspired by a pharmacist who worked with her. And so the pharmacist made such a great impression And my mom said she would like me to be a pharmacist. So this pharmacist was trained in America and she was one of the few pharmacists at that time in Nigeria who had a PharmD qualification. So she was kind of uh, quite unusual for her time. What was really interesting was that later on in my pre-reg year, she was my chief pharmacist. Her name was Dr. Awoshika. And, And she didn't know the meaning of the word impossible. She would go any lengths to ensure that her patients or our patients got the best outcome. Uh, She would question things, she would suggest things, she would explore things until she found a solution. But I think what was really good for me also was I loved chemistry. I loved chemistry as a subject. I was good at it. I loved organic chemistry. And so it was natural that when I was then applying to go into university, I kind of automatically chose a pharmacy. Um, and I remember have, when I was in my final year, I did a, a, a project um, in what you call pharmacognosy. I don't think they do that now anymore in pharmacy, but it was all about how we could extract uh, the medicinal components out of black pepper. And um, <laughs> just uh, doing that through what we called uh, thin layer chromatography and things like that really excited me and so that's kind of how I ended up in pharmacy so it wasn't like I've always wanted to do this since I was a kid for me it was just like you know a good career to pursue. So could you give us an overview of your career so far? So as you probably have guessed I studied pharmacy back in Nigeria and then I came into the UK in the late 80s after I did my pre-reg year And then I had to do a conversion course from my Nigerian pharmacy qualification to a British one to allow me to be registered. So when I first came, I worked as a pharmacy technician in community or like a dispenser. And so I did that uh, just to be able to get used to the system, to know what it was about rather than just jumping in. Um, and then after, well, after I'd worked for a little bit as a pharmacy technician, I started to make inquiries uh, from the pharmaceutical society. And um, I had, I, reckon, I realized that I had to do like a conversion course. And so we had to do six 
papers in an exam and the only place that did it was in Sunderland. So we had to travel all the way from London to Sunderland. I stayed there for like two weeks. And then I did that exam and I passed. And so then I was able to do my pre-reg. So I did my pre-reg in community pharmacy. Uh, it was a local community pharmacy. Then I took a little bit of time out to have a child. But before I went on maternity leave, I was determined to work as a pharmacist. <laughs> so I did about a month working as a pharmacist. And I went to work in this um, hospital for neurodisability. Um, it was a large community hospital. And people who um, lived there, so it was like a care home uh, and a hospital combined in one. And they all had what we called incurable diseases at the time. So we had a big dispensary in the actual hospital, and there was also a GP surgery downstairs. So it worked like a it worked like a GP surgery attached to the to the um, organization. So I worked there for a little bit for a month, and then when I went off on maternity leave, they told me if I wanted to come back, I could come back. So um, so I worked there for a little bit, came back from um, maternity leave, went back there to work. And then I did my certificate in clinical pharmacy while I was there. And then, of course, I got a bit bored and I wanted to explore something different. So I went back into community pharmacy. But at the time, there was this company called Sanskrit. And I think they were really ahead of their time because what they were looking to do was to develop clinical pharmacy services in care homes. So I'm talking about 1994-ish so I, I got there and there was this um, pharmacist, um, Mary Allen, I think she was called. She reminded me of my old chief pharmacist, very pro-clinical pharmacy. She had ideas that, you know, people are just getting to now. And so I was really inspired by her. So I went to work for her. And so I was in a community pharmacy that wasn't very busy, but the aim was to have a lot of nursing homes attached. And by the time, you know, I was there about a year, we had about six care homes, big care homes um, that we supplied medicines to. But also what I was doing at the time was to go in with the doctors and the nurses to do ward rounds. This was way, way ahead of the time because obviously I had done the certificate in clinical pharmacy. In my old job also, I got really interested in wound management. So um, I worked there for a little bit. And unfortunately, I think uh, just because I kind of reduced a lot of the items. This was before the days of the prescribing, but just by managing the waste and the systems and also by doing the wound management, I cut down the items and I think it wasn't viable any longer. So I think from there, it was almost kind of downhill and they wanted to bring me back to just doing counter stuff. So I left and I went to work for Boots, like you normally do. And so I worked in a non-dispensing pharmacy in Bromley. Um, the um, Bromley um, Health Authority was really proactive around health promotion. So I got involved in a lot of things to do with health promotion. And then round about that time, I thought, oh, dude, I'm, I'm in a non-dispensing pharmacy. Maybe I should go do my diploma in clinical pharmacy because I still couldn't get my head away from that whole clinical pharmacy that experience that I'd had in those other two places. And then, of course, in 1999, there was the whole thing about primary care groups. 
And I thought, wow, this is really what I'd like to do. So I applied uh, to Lambeth to be a prescribing advisor and I got in. So that was really, really uh, a turning point because then I moved from community pharmacy straight into um, primary care. So I worked there as a prescribing advisor. Uh, two, that was in 1999. And then two years, years later, we changed from primary care groups to primary care trusts. So I carried on in Lambeth as a primary care, um, as a prescribing advisor. And then there came a crucial point where I had to make this choice. Do I want to be the head of medicines management or what do I want to do? And I think it was at that point I got the opportunity to either work as a governance pharmacist or to do old people. And so, of course, because of my history and all the um, prior experience I had and enjoyed, I chose the area of old people. So my title changed from prescribing advisor and older people lead. So that kind of coincided with when the, there was the national service frameworks for older people and there was a big medicines component that was attached to that. And so my job became a big part of my job was leading on that medicines aspect of the older people's NSF. And of course, that led me to do a project with um, the Department of Health and Social Care. So there was a big London wide project for old people. And there was a medicines bit attached to that. So I got involved with that. Uh, that was a six-month pilot. Um, worked quite well. And then um, at the end of the six months, the specialist pharmacy services at that time, the regional office, decided there was still a little bit more work to do. Um, and so they asked me to stay on for another six months. And I stayed on for another six months and another year and another year and another year. And what's happened is that job's been going since 2003, and I'm still doing that job, except that is now like a, a national role, and of course it's a bit more than the NSF for older people. So I'm still in that job one day a week. So um, <laughs> in 2011, then I moved to Guys and St Thomas's um, NHS Foundation Trust, and so I've been there since 2011, working in the community as a consultant pharmacist for older people. So in all that time, I've done many other interesting jobs, which I'm sure uh, would come to at some stage in the interview. So I'd like to go back to when you came to the UK. What was the process like for you doing the conversion exam? Oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> so you can imagine that I had just come to the UK. So there was just getting my head around a new environment. So I had, I mean, I was born here, but then I went back to Nigeria and had done all my primary school, my secondary school, my university. So obviously the culture shock, apart from the cold, uh, just getting my head around things. Um, I had to work um, and, and obviously because I had to earn money, but also because I wanted to be familiar with what happened around pharmacy. So like I said, I worked as a dispenser uh, in the pharmacy. Um, and then we just had to do the exam. And luckily, we had one or two people who were studying in Sunderland. So there was a group of us pharmacists. I think there was about six of us. And so 
um, we would work during the week and we would meet on Saturday uh, to ask questions and go through the question papers um, that, that our colleagues in Sunderland would, would kind of point us in the right direction. I remember the toughest thing was reading this book about pharmacy law and ethics. I think it was by somebody called Dale and Appleby. I would never forget. It was the most difficult book to get my head around. There were things about control drug schedules and the different types of control drugs, the storage, the ones where you have to record. It was incredibly difficult for me to get my head around. And, you know, there were things about FP10s and hospital FP10s and community. And it was, it was, it was a minefield. But, but we managed. And I, I mean, I think some of the other bits were helped because I was already working as a pharmacy technician. Um, but, but actually, that uh, law was probably one of the biggest things I had to do. And the fact that we had to go to Sunderland, to do, because we couldn't do the exam in London, so we had to go to Sunderland. And we stayed in a little place called South Shields, and we had to take the bus in. And it was, it was just a completely different life. But we did. We, we did. We did. I mean, I did get through. Um, another thing I think that was quite interesting was, so coming from Nigeria, we had... We had labs, obviously, and we had pharmacy labs, but usually we would be in a group. Uh, so there would be like a tableting machine and we'd be in a group trying to work things out and being told what to do. But obviously, when we went for the exam in Sunderland, it was just one person to a tableting machine. So you almost kind of had to work it by yourself and, and you didn't have, have your peer to kind of ask questions or kind of. So that, that was interesting. And I only found that out. I think they allowed us to come into the lab just to look. I think it was a day before the the exam. <laughs> that was a bit of a shock as well. But yeah, we did we did make it through, um, and it was quite exciting times. So I'd love to ask, what was it about community pharmacy over uh, hospital pharmacy, for instance? So I think because I had been in community pharmacy, I mean, I terribly enjoyed my working as a community pharmacy as a pharmacy technician. Although I worked in a few. The place where I did my pre-reg, I had been there for almost a year before I did my pre-reg. So that was almost like two years. And it was exciting times. I just loved community pharmacy. So in those days, community pharmacy was like the hub or the center of the community. And people just, I mean, the, the pharmacist I work with, Mr. Patel, he knew like generations of families who would come and he would call their grandparents Mr. And then he would know the people in the middle who were now starting to have kids. And I, I was really just intrigued by that whole thing. People would come to the pharmacy for all kinds of things. And I know now we talk about personalized care. Um, and patient priorities, our shelves were filled with all kinds of strange things that people in the community wanted. We, I remember us having, you know, generic atenolol. Atenolol was popular then for um, blood pressure. We had specially labeled atenolol, red ones, because there's an old lady who wouldn't have the red and, and um, who would only have the red and not the brown atenolols. We had atenolols with a big G on them, kept in separate places, all labeled. We kept Afro products. We kept uh, things like horse embrocation. I remember smelling salts, McKinsey, because there's the lady who would come and buy them, you know. It was so exciting. The, the, the doctor surgery was next door. Uh, the butchers was, and it, it was such a hub. There was a real sense of community and everybody knew everyone. And I remember making uh, loads and loads of liters and liters of methadone 
Um, and all the methadone will come in the people would come in the morning and line up in front of the chemist. Some of them would even help us open the shutters. And I remember sometimes I used to go to the high street and the methadone people would recognize me and wave and people like, oh, how do you know all these people? But there was such a sense of community. Uh, it was a great place to work in. And so after I had my baby, I thought, ooh, I'd love to go back to community pharmacy. In fact, my, my pre-reg tutor was ready to employ me, but then it, it, the hours were too long. So I had to make a choice to go to like a place where it was just nine to five. I didn't want to do the call and all that in, in hospital settings. So I went back to the community hospital because it was Monday to Friday, nine to five. And it was kind of a bit more pragmatic decision to stay there. But I loved community pharmacy, really did. So when you became a prescribing advisor, what was it like? Because you had a community background. And so up to that point, so many people had come from a hospital background. <laughs> Now, I was completely out of my depth. <laughs> um, so, I, like I said, I had come from community pharmacy. Um, I'd worked in the community hospital. I had done my certificate, but it was a new role. Uh, it was a new organization. I, I worked in an office for the first time. Um, there was just me. So there were like six prescribing advisors for the whole of the um, health authority. So I was covering Lambert. There was one for Southern. There was one for Lewisham. And all of them had come from a hospital background. So it was just me. And really, people had been waiting for this prescribing advisor to come. There was a GP who was the prescribing lead. I had to go to give um, board reports. I'd never attended a board meeting up till then. And I had to do all the reports. I had to calculate um, the budget and the finances. It was really, really daunting. It was a steep learning curve. And on top of that, I, I always felt, goodness me, coming from a community pharmacy background, my clinical skills and knowledge was kind of lacking that's what I thought and so what I did I threw myself into it luckily it was at the same time I had enrolled to do my clinical pharmacy diploma at Aston University and it was amazing course because what I was doing was I was learning and practicing at the same time so what I was learning in my university they would ask us to do work that was real in my workplace so for example the one of the things I had to do was to save 150k at that time, that was big money, in my little PCG because we were overspent on the prescribing budget. And so I had to do generic switches. These were the popular things of, at that time. I had to do reducing the doses of PPIs. PPIs were really expensive at the time. And so getting the dose down for those who didn't need that treatment dose was a big thing I was doing. And these were the things we were also doing at uni. So that was really helpful in a sense. But also there was the fact that my job, I had 27 GP practice to visit and in those days we had quite a few small practices uh, single GP practices and so you can imagine if my job is to come and criticize what you're doing or to find faults in what you're doing if you saw it that way rather than you know just somebody doing their job to improve pharmacy then you are going to take it personally and so I had to quickly learn those skills how do you develop rapport with people so they're on the same page as you? How do you present something so you're not criticizing, but then you're kind of firm and saying you do need to change? How do you do change? And when I first started, I think there was only like six of us. There was a chief executive who I reported to, although I had a professional, a pharmacist, 
um, who was my uh, boss as well. But on a day-to-day basis, I reported to the chief executive. We had two locality managers who went out and saw the GPs to do everything that had nothing to do with medicines. And so they had been there just a little bit longer than me. And I would go to them and go, I'm going to see this GP. Uh, what do I need to think about? And they would just spew out negativity. You can't do this. You can't do this. And honestly, I sometimes I was so terrified just going to the practice. And I thought, you know what? This is a new job. If I have to be terrified every single time, I'm never going to make it. And so I just thought one day to myself, I thought, Lenny, you need to pull yourself together. What are the skills you have? Come on, you've come from community pharmacy. In community pharmacy, every time we spoke to the GPs, we, we were always telling them something was wrong. And you managed to develop all these relationships. And I thought, it's got to be better than this because I'm seeing them face to face. I'm having the one hour to talk to them. And I just thought, do you know what? Pull yourself together and see what you can do. And I thought, I'm going to focus on what I'm good at. And I know I can tell a story to someone. I can make a compelling reason for change. I can work out how to uh, just engage people. And that's what I started doing. And so I stopped asking. So I just, I'm going to go in blind and I'm just going to deal with it as I get there. And and I began to develop a, a relationship with some of these GPs, even the single-handed GPs. I understood, and I think I had an advantage, a certain advantage compared to the people who had come from hospital. Because, you know, in hospital, when people write things on the charts, the pharmacist just goes there, crosses it out, end of story, and puts the right thing on. In community pharmacy, we don't have, we didn't have that luxury. And remember that the GP practice were the people who bring our business in. So we can't really afford to be falling out with people or, or busting people around. And so I thought, you know, this is more or less the same thing. And so I was able to negotiate more. I would negotiate with people. I would ask them questions. I was more flexible. I used to do my prescribing visits in amazing places. Sometimes we'll be in upstairs in the conservatory in the practice. Some GP practices would go, let's go out, bring the whole practice out, and they would bring McDonald's. And I was kind of quite flexible. And as long as I was able to pass the message on, and some people needed long messages. Some GPs just needed to see it visually. And so I had to adapt. And and I'm still in touch with some of those GPs even till today. Um, So no, it was was a steep learning curve, but I did learn and I did swim (laughs) and I made it. I'd love to talk to you a little bit about your work with the care of older people. Why did you choose to specialise in the care of older people? As I said, I had done quite a lot of work with old people. I'd done a lot of work with care homes prior to coming into primary primary care. Um, as a community pharmacist, a lot of you know uh, the, the, my regular patients uh, were kind of old people anyway, and I had done that work, like I said, with 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 care homes. When I came into primary care groups, that was like 1999, right at the tail end. In 2001, there was a national services framework for all people. And it was my job to um, implement that because there was a lot around medication review and making sure that the practices were doing that. But even before the NSF came out, because of the, the work I'd done before and because of the overspend, I had started to pilot different types of medication review. So I had done a little pilot around what would it be like for a community pharmacist to be involved in medication review with their local GP. And in those days, we had the level one, level two, level three, which we don't use now, but it was all about, so level one was just a basic 
medication review, looking at simple things that you could do around switches and, you know, optimizing frequencies and all that. And level two was obviously slightly more in-depth and the level three was obviously the full in-depth medication review. That's how we described them in those days. So I had a com local community pharmacist and, and a really pro-pharmacy GP working together. And we had another pilot of a GP pharmacist at the time. There was this GP practice. They had their own pharmacist working at the time. And also I had done some level three reviews and had done, I just evaluated that project and seen that there was a scope for pharmacists to lead medication reviews alongside GPs. And then the NSF came out and there was that bit to implement. So when I came to making that decision, um, about where next to go since I didn't want to actively pursue uh, the management side. Um, I had governance and all people and just the natural thing to do and what really interested me. And because of the NSF, I chose all people. And so that's kind of how my journey uh, started in the care of older people. So what would you say to people today who are looking into that career path? And what would you say to encourage them into caring with older people? obviously with a bit of bias. So if you think about it, the older people, especially the frail older people, are the fastest growing population um, as we, we are, we, we, I mean, as it is. Um, but also they are high users of medicines. So I'm sure, I mean, if you haven't seen like the um, overprescribing report, it shows that from about age 65 onwards, they use more medicines as in the overall quantity, but the per person they use more medicines than any other age group. So again, you can't run, unless you're strictly working in pediatrics or working with younger adults, you cannot avoid working with old people. So I think... It's, I think it's, it's a place where there are a group of people that we encounter in pharmacy. And I think that it's really interesting to work with old people. The, the other thing about working with old people is that their medicines management needs are so broad. So you really don't have to specialize in a particular therapeutic area. Um, you just go with the patient and what they come with. So I would say, you know, it's a good place to start. It's a good place to specialize in. But even if you're not going to specialize in old people, whatever principles you use in the care of older people, you can use it for people with mental health problems. You can use it for people with many long-term conditions. You can even apply some of those principles to looking after uh, young people. So, no, it is exciting. And, yes, I would encourage as many people as possible. So you mentioned the review of overprescribing. So you represented the RPS in that review. Could you talk a little bit about your role, how you got involved in that and what the process was like? So I have been involved in quite a few national groups to do things like that. But I think just being invited to the overprescribing report committee was really exciting because number one is something I'm really passionate about. It's something that I enjoy working and also more than anything, it's something I really do believe in. I think we overuse medicines and I think just cutting down where appropriate really makes a huge difference, not just to the kind of KPIs and, and the things we want to see. It, it really does make a difference in the patient's life. So for me, that was it was almost like a double bonus for me to be able to do something I enjoy. Um, also, I knew that 
when when they had to there were some kind of meetings and com- there was a conference before they got the group together right at the early stages and it was just a breath of people we had people from uh, voluntary sectors we had patients uh, we had different professionals around the table there were medics there were nurses there were pharmacies there were um, academic people and that's me at my best working with a whole breath of people uh, trying to influence something that's almost impossible to change and seeing that different perspective so I was absolutely delighted I hadn't got a clue that I was going to be on the a group so it, it came you know as a surprise I must admit that when I was asked to do it I just thought oh fair enough then oh yes I not, not a problem and then I saw it in the pharmacy journal and it was like Lely's something about a national and I thought wow and then the RPS says can you be our representative and I thought oh my goodness this is big stuff um so initially I just thought it was yeah just like what you always do but it was it was a real eye-opener meetings where I mean sat kind of sitting around this group where you had so many knowledgeable people and people who are so passionate about the subject matter uh, and it was just humbling to be there and to think wow you know I'm part of this and to think this group potentially could make decisions that change people's life for good and so it was I learned so much I mean the way the meetings were held one of the things I learned a lot was just watching the people who chaired the meetings. Um, and usually it would be Keith Ridge, who used to be the uh, chief from a school officer. But then we had other people chair as well. And I, I just sat down there and thought, goodness me, how are these guys going to pack everything everybody has to say and listen in a two-hour space? And they did. And so just watching just those chairing skills was also part of the, it was something that had nothing to do with pharmacy, but I just observed and learned how we tackle, how do you get everyone's view, even though some of them were so different? How do you listen to everyone, hear everyone, and then write notes that are reflective of that? I I think that in itself is like a whole different new skill. So yeah, so I learned a lot. It, It was probably one of the most interesting things I have been involved with. What do you hope the legacy of that review will be? Do you know, because because I believe in that report, so I think the legacy is going to go on for a long time. I think it's something that is going to change how we practice. Now, how quickly um, we change is a different ball game. That would depend on so many things. And it might be slow, like it is sometimes with things that require people a heart change and a, a, a different way of looking at things rather than, you know, just like an evidence-based thing. It will take time, but I think it's going to leave a lasting legacy. I think it probably will take us about another three, four, five, six years to be able to implement some of the ambitious things that are in there routinely. But we're beginning to see pockets of change. So I'm I'm hopeful And I'm committed and I'm excited about that report. Well written. That was Lenny Ovo, a consultant pharmacist for the Care of Older People at Guy's and St Thomas's Hospital London and the NHS Specialist Pharmacy Service. We spoke about Lenny's career journey so far, registering as a UK pharmacist and her role in the government's review of overprescribing in the NHS. Please tune in for part two later this week where we discuss the biggest challenges she's faced so far, her future career goals, and how to find the right mentor for you. For more news and updates on seeing these women in pharmacy group, 
please visit the CD community via our website, chemistandruggist.co.uk. Thank you for listening.